Flying Talkers podcast is made possible by ATC, One World, One Global Air Cargo General Service and Sales Agent, GSSA. ATC is your key to the air cargo market, both local and internationally. ATC is the best air cargo team in the business. On the new product front, quote, temp controls transport of vaccines and other high-value biopharmaceutical shipments is increasing rapidly, Jan Krems, president of United Cargo, told us, as that carrier became the first U.S. flag to induct sky cell temperature control containers. Extremely precise, long-duration temperature control is required for the safe transport of these highly sensitive shipments. Jan added. Manufactured in Switzerland, SkyCell's design features patented insulation and a special rechargeable cooling technology. Each container is equipped with Internet of Things sensors that connect to SkyCell's cloud-based blockchain encrypted software. SkyCell serves more than 90 countries and pharma companies around the world. That's why we're so very excited to Launch this partnership, Jan said, combining the proven reliability and high performance of SkyCell's containers with Temp Control's extensive network and relentless focus on control and integrity creates the level of quality service today's healthcare shippers demand, Jan said. The expanding United Temp Control network features 68 certified handling locations in North America, South America, EMEIA and Asia Pacific. Sometimes the best thing you hear at a conference isn't sitting in an overly long session while some speaker drones on and on and on. It could be something that you hear face-to-face in a brief encounter. There may be no crying in baseball, as the movie A League of Their Own suggests, but listening to United Airlines Cargo President Jan Krems, we learn the same rule applies in air cargo. This is what he said. Sure, business is tough right now, But as the wise saying from ancient times puts it, you can't always choose your circumstances, but you can always choose how you respond to them. Our team's choice is to take every opportunity to refine our product offering and to keep in continuous contact with our customers, partners, our business partners, to learn how we can help them through the tough times. So Air Cargo Europe gave us an excellent chance to strengthen those contacts, he said and we were booked solid with meetings and events throughout the entire week. After that conference, this week our team is comparing notes on what we heard and what we learned. We're going to use that to carry on with our main purpose, delivering the best value for money cargo product in the world. United, 
as you may know, is already the number one combination cargo carrier in the USA, Jan Krem said, and we don't plan to let tough times change that, he concluded. Words to the wise, smart, smart thinking and forward thinking. Thanks for that, Jan. This is Jeffrey Aaron. In this format where we're having these uh, conversations where I read stories that have appeared in Flying Typers or just sit and talk about things that are on my mind, it occurs to me that uh, we don't have a spot for letters. So I thought I'd share a letter I received and share my response to that letter about a man that passed away. I know it's not very good practice to lead off a news program or an information program with an obit, but bear with me here. It's an interesting anecdotal couple of minutes here that might be of something you'd like to know about. And certainly it was about a guy that mattered in the cargo business and some people that have been instrumental in the cargo business for quite a long time. So it's Dear Jeffrey, nice work on your recent edition with Bill Bosch's writing. Amazon is certainly a case history for the logistics business. That's referring to a story that we read here in uh, Flying Talkers and also appeared in Flying Typers about what the future means with Amazon and so forth. I don't know if you knew Dick Wiebe passed away a few months ago. He was 94. I think he and Richard Malkin must have had a pact to see who'd live the longest. Well, Malkin won but they were two incredible human beings. Our regular listeners might know that Richard Malkin, who invented the modern air cargo journalism form in 1948, covering the Berlin airlift. Uh, Dick passed away a couple of years ago at 105, and he was still writing at that point in his life. May he rest in peace. The letter continues. Dick and Pearl Wiebe and his family will always be mine as well. I was fortunate to have worked with Dick. He was unselfish, bright, innovative, caring, and always had a birthday card for everyone in headquarters and was the truest of gentlemen. Many personal stories are indelibly etched in my mind with fond memories. Hope all is well with you and your entire family. I send my best. Jeff, Jeff Lehman, President and CEO of Greeley Pond Technologies and he's in Gainesville, Georgia. So then I'll explain all the rest of this, including who Jeff is with my response. Hi, Jeff. Cannot think of another one bites the dust because Richard William Dick Weavey was such a straight shooter and wonderful human being. He shall live in our hearts forever. Dick was educated in elementary schools in Newark, New Jersey, and graduated from Lyndhurst High School, Lyndhurst, New Jersey in 1942. In 1943, he joined the U.S. Army and became a B-17 pilot in November 1944 and trained navigators for B-29 Pacific missions. In 1945, he joined the Air Traffic Command as a traffic officer serving in Salzburg, Austria, and Rome, Italy, and was honorably discharged in 1946. Richard Wiebe, dear listener, was an air cargo man 79 years ago. On March 29, 1947, in Lyndhurst, New Jersey, 
Dick married the love of his life, Pearl. He then joined Eastern Airlines in 1947 and worked in New York City until moving to the air cargo section at Newark, New Jersey. Uh, in 1950, he joined Emory Air Freight Corporation. This is the company that invented in the USA freight forwarding, John Emory Sr. He joined Emory Air Freight as a supervisor for the three New York airports, Idlewild, now JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark. Dick then went on to become manager from Emory Air Freight in Albany, New York, and next became assistant to John C. Emory Jr. in the Emory Home Office in New York City. In 1961, Emory moved their home office to Wilton, Connecticut, where Dick became assistant to the vice president in charge of advertising, public relations, sales promotion, and direct mail. After 30 years with Emory Air Freight, Richard Weeby retired and became a consultant for Emory and other companies to handle their meetings and conventions. Dick and Pearl were married for 70 years. They operated their own consulting company, PR Limited. Uh, that would be Pearl and Richard. Uh, Pearl was vice president of the company, and together they worked on meetings and conventions all over the country at several international locations. Dick oversaw all visual aids and logistics while Pearl handled the, the eating functions and so forth and the floral arrangements and you might want to call it tchotchke stuff, but you know what, that's the way the thing rolls when it's working. The tchotchke stuff is working in, in, in addition to all the heavy stuff. Thinking about Dick, this is Jeffrey speaking, in June 2019, I have to say he's shown bright in my memory, though out of sight for some years now. His decent kindness will remain with me forever. Many people thought it odd that a book to save Building One, titled Great Airports Newark International Airport, and another a year later to save the Marine Air Terminal, titled Great Airports LaGuardia, published by Air Cargo News, our publication, will also carry the logo of Emory Air Freight. But one day in a meeting, I mentioned to Dick that we should stand for something else in air cargo and saving our airport history would be a good thing. We were trying to save these two buildings as an air cargo publication in 1975. Dick, as the top corporate communications man for John Emery Jr., picked up our sword and said to me, go ahead, do those books, and we'll buy 5,000 copies each, he said. So I did, and he did. And today, way ahead of saving the TWA building at Kennedy Airport in 2019, that's now a hotel, and really what's turned into be a worldwide movement to look at our airports in a different way. We did our books, and we managed to save both the Marine Air Terminal at LaGuardia in 1980 and Building One, now the manager's office, and that was with the great help of Bob Aronson in 1990 at Newark. Today, both are national landmarks. And you know, as LaGuardia is getting this total overhaul amongst the last buildings from the original 1939 airport, the Marine Air Terminal is protected by landmark status. And it's a good thing because the rest of the airport's being torn down left and right. And any trace of that airport that was once the world's busiest from the time, from those halcyon days of when it was was more than just a national joke. Well, I guess it'll not be that anymore when it's fixed up. But so the Marine Terminal and its glorious mural by James Brooks lives at LaGuardia Airport and the great manager's office, the Art Deco building at uh, Newark Airport, 
home of the world's first air traffic control center, the first air traffic center, a tra- traffic control center in the world is still there. The simple truth is that our books that Dick Wiebe supported helped bring into being and brought forward to the world work to fasten attention to the vital importance of understanding the future by remembering our precious aviation history. Later, when we put a program in 1978 called Air Cargo News on New York City Public Television, once again, Dick Wiebe backed our effort in 1980, as I said, to bring the air cargo story out to the public at large. And, you know, who knows who saw that? People lived in Manhattan. I think that was as far as it went. But it was our effort in those early days when we had just begun in the business from 1975 forward as publishers to bring the air cargo story out. So, Jeff, thanks for your kind and lovely note to me and the memory of the life and the times of a truly wonderful human being. And to you, I still remember the first time we met in Oakland where you were humping cargo for old Ed Daly at World Airways. Remember at the time, Ed was reportedly packing heat with a brace of pearl-handled revolvers and desk drawer, and you advised with a smile, hey, watch what you write. And I did. Well, I still do. So every good wish to you, Jeff, and thanks for rekindling some great memories that I'm sharing here on our podcast and certainly in the pages of Flying Typers. With respect and admiration always to the greatest voice in old-time radio, Fred Foy. Aboard a midnight flight on the China Clipper, a young and resourceful teenager works for law and order in the late 1930s. Monitoring the world on his shortwave radio, he serves the cause of truth and justice the American way. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past comes a thundering roar of the twin WASP 14-cylinder radial engines. Steve Gibson of the International Secret Police is on the air. of the International Secret Police. Gibson, his uncle, Clint Barlow, ace operator of the International Secret Police, and Barney Dunlap, also of the police, are flying to Hong Kong, China, via the China Clipper, to end the smuggling activities of the world's most dreaded criminal, the octopus. At the Honolulu stopover, they become acquainted with Marsha Winfield, governess to little Jean Kingsley, and are startled when she tells them that she took the position so that she could go to China in search of the octopus who has brought tragedy into her life. She asks their protection for the duration of the trip for the little girl's sake. 
Meanwhile, the octopus has dispatched a renegade aviator, Splinters, in a special bullet plane to await the arrival of the China Clipper at Wake Island and there kidnapped Speed Gibson. At the moment, however, we find the boys talking things over several hundred feet in the air, about half an hour out of Midway Island. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't mind living on one of these clipper ships the rest of my life. Rides as easy as a big, calm yacht. Good feed, sightseeing, and a guy can get a good night's sleep in one of them berths. <laughs> when you got it home, Lulu, huh, Barney? You're darn tootin', Speed. What with you and Clint using me as a battlefield to capture that smuggler? <laughs> well, your snoring wasn't any lullaby for us, either. Is that so? If I hadn't snored, Speed wouldn't have been awake to see that smuggler when he climbed up to our balcony at the hotel. <laughs> it's no use, Clint. You can't top Barney. <laughs> He's the champion alibi Ike of the service. What do you mean, alibi Ike? Well, I won't go into painful details now. After all, I'm just supposed to be Pierre Dorsey, the French tutor to your son here, Earl. And you're Jim Fletcher, the Texas oil man, now remember. How can I forget it with you reminding me every half hour? By the way, where's Miss Winfield and Jane? In the lounge. Miss Winfield's writing letters. Oh, think I'll see if she needs any help. No, no, you don't, Romeo. You stay right here with us where I can keep an eye on you. Okay. Nothing to do, though. Nothing to do? Gee, Barney, in just a little while we'll cross the international date line. Just think, we've been flying like 60 ever since we took off from Midway Island, and we'll still lose a day. Lose a day flying at this speed? How do you figure that? Because we crossed the international date line. If we were coming the other way, from China, then we'd leave Wake one day and arrive at Midway the day before. Clint, do you think the altitude's getting the kid? <laughs> no, speed's right, Barney. You pass over the same line on boats, you know. You're just confused because we're traveling so much faster. Oh, I get it now. Say, they always have some sort of celebration on a boat. Last time I crossed over the equator, they ducked me and held me under for a whole day. At least that's the way it seemed to me. I'll bet you were red as a boy of lobster when they pulled you out. <laughs> and that's funny, huh? I wonder if they'll have a celebration up here crossing the date line in the air, as they do on shipboard crossing the equator. Nah, and if they do, they can count me out. For once, I'm going to be the watching audience. Watch it. Here comes one of the stewards. Hmm? Oh, as I was saying, Monsieur Fletcher, the clipper route is fascinating. You will remember that soon after we left Honolulu, we passed over the very sands that Sir Charles Kingsford Smith used as a landing field for his Southern Cross plane when he blazed the first sky route from San Francisco to Sydney, Australia. Uh, beg pardon, gentlemen. Uh, Mr. Fletcher? Uh-huh. Oh, yes, Stuart? Uh, the captain's compliments, sir, and he asks if you will not impersonate Father Time for the usual ceremonies when we pass over the time demarcation line. You mean to say that you have ceremonies up here in the air for that? Oh, yes, sir. Everything but the immersion, of course. <laughs> you are going to be in the watching audience. <laughs> yeah, that's right, lad. I should have stayed at Midway Island and enjoyed the fishing. Father Time. <laughs> Radio OC34, calling shortwave station OC127. OC34, calling OC127. Come in, please. Well, they're coming quick enough. I don't think that octopus ever leaves his set. He talks to me more by radio than when I'm with him in Hong Kong. Uh-oh. Here he comes. 
OC-127 to OC-34. OC-127 to OC-34. Stand by for two-way conversation. OC-34 already for two-way. Flinders? Yes, sir. I just sighted Wake Island. We'll land there shortly. Can't see nothing of the China Clipper yet. Wait at Wake Island. Clipper will probably lay over since airway weather report warns of typhoon in Formosan waters heading for Wake Island. Typhoon? Well, that'll drown him, all right. That's a piece of weather that even I won't buck. You might, Splinters. What do you mean? The plane will naturally arouse curiosity. You have the story you are to tell the aviation officials. That you are trying to establish a new speed record between Guam and Wake Island for your own satisfaction. I got all that straight, but what about flying in a typhoon? Once you get speed, Gibson, you will have to take off, no matter what kind of flying weather you have. But, Octopus, you might as well tell me to send my bullet plane in a nosedive into the ocean right now. Typhoon flying is just another name for suicide. Are you going to obey my orders? You know what awaits you here if you fail? And don't think that you can escape me by going elsewhere. Remember, the tentacles of the octopus. I can reach you anywhere. Oh, I know. I thought you wanted Speed Gibson alive. I want to strike at Clint Barlow. Losing his nephew will remove Barlow from the chase. What happens to the boy is of little interest to me. But my life, sir, What I... are you going to do? I'll get Speed Gibson. We'll fly into the typhoon if we must. That is better. You have full instructions. You are to stay by the plane as much as possible, so you will be in constant communication with me. Yes, sir, I'm circling Wake Island now. Very well. Land and tell your story to the officials. And tell it well. Tell it so that they will believe it, or you will have to answer to me. I thought we never would get out of that lounge performance. <laughs> oh, Father Time himself, huh? You've still got some cotton whiskers hanging on your chin there. <laughs> I'll take them off, Barney. Thanks, kid. I was kind of nervous when the steward was putting them on me. Thought maybe he'd find out I had a phony mustache and a squint. Yes, uh, he was laughing too hard to examine your face, pal. You should have seen yourself when they put that paper crown on your head. Look more like a dunce cap. Yeah, well, let me tell you, not all dunces wear caps. Jose, get off your high horse, cowboy. Here comes Gene. Now, remember who you are. Guess I'd better put these glasses on again, too. Hello, everybody. Mr. Fletcher, I want to tell you what a wonderful father time you made. I love... You too, Gene. I thought you was my friend. I am. I wasn't laughing at you, but with you. You sure were having a good time initiating the passengers. Over the international date line. <laughs> I'll have to admit I got a kick out of it, all right. Well, I'm sure glad to have one of these international date line certificates they give to everyone who flies over the line. Boy, listen to this. The main of Phoebus Apollo, ruler of the sun and heavens, know all peoples that Earl Fletcher, once earthbound and time-laden, is now declared a subject of the realm of the sun and of the heavens with the freedom of our sacred eagle. That with the speed of our flaming chariot, this subject did fly the Pacific skies over the international date line, which mortals designed to mark off in the limit of days our eternal course through the skies. All right, all right. You didn't have to read your certificate to us. We all got one, and as far as I know, we can all read. Yeah, Pop, but I like the sound of those words. It makes you feel like, like somebody. 
I'm awfully proud of my certificate, too, Earl. And I like these pictures of the sun, moon, and stars around the edge, and the flaming chariot, and the clipper ship. I love this whole trip, especially the goonie birds. Mr. Dorsey, do you think there'll be any goonie birds on Wake Island, like there was on Midway? Well, very probably, mademoiselle. They're so funny and awkward. I would have liked one for a pet. I have a heck of a time keeping a goonie bird aboard the China Clipper. <laughs> I got a kick out of those goonies, but the birds that moaned and groaned gave me the heebie-jeebies. Wonder what they call them. Don't know, Bar. I mean, Pop. But the Clipper captain himself pointed out the turned frigate birds and giant albatross. Boy, they're colossal. They're colossal albatross. Hear that, Mr. Dorsey? You have to teach him better than that. Well, youth always exaggerates, Monsieur Fletcher. Well, they were big, and so are the fish. Hope I can get in some more fish at Wake Island. I think we'll have to stay in the hotel at Wake. Well, what do you mean, Jean? Stewart just told Marcia that a typhoon was heading for Wake Island. We'd probably have to lay over until it passed. Typhoon layover? Well, then we'll be late getting to Hong Kong. Oh, not very late, Miss Fletcher. These typhoons are terrible, but very quick. Look, there's Wake Island ahead now. I don't see any signs of a storm anywhere. It's coming from Formosa, he said. The aviation weather reports give a clipper plenty of warning, Earl. They may have a half a day of clear flying weather ahead. But if there is any danger whatsoever of a bad storm crossing their path, they are ordered to remain grounded until all is clear once more. Well, as swell as this clipper plane is to ride in, I'll be glad to walk on land again. Sort of get air legs up here. Won't be long now. Oh, look at that pretty lagoon we're going to land in. And look, people are coming to the dock to meet us. You can certainly see good, Earl. Let me look through those glasses. Uh, uh no, they're, they're too strong for your eyes. Oh, everybody always gets excited when we come to a place, especially when it's in the middle of the ocean. Any sign of the typhoon yet? No, monsieur. But I see something else, Barney. Danger? I don't know, but I got a hunch. Look at that plane down there. Boy, a two-seater and built for terrific speed. No familiar identification marks. Barney, that plane looks more dangerous to me than a dozen typhoons. You think the octopus? We'll know soon enough, but watch yourself after we land. Anything can happen way out here in mid-Pacific and be called an accident. our broadcast for today. This is Jeffrey Aaron thanking you for your time this time. Until next time, keep them flying. Air Cargo. Goodbye. <laughs>